0: Well, we sort of knew it was going to be this way this morning. We got the forecast, and um, just so you are all on the same page with us is, how do you decide whether or not you have church or not? Well, we we're on a two-hour delay, and uh, that means we start at 10 instead of 8. And so that's our first step, right? Uh, we, we We really... Obviously, pray about, God, what do we need to do? We Keep our eye on the weather, keep our eye on the forecast, what are the churches doing? We call uh, maybe a state trooper, or the police department, say, where are the roads like, what's it going to be like? Um, and actually, when the setup team got here this morning, everybody got, we sort of pulled together and said, okay, listen, um, at 7 o'clock this morning, it wasn't snowing. Uh, there was nothing going on. It's like, oh, okay, well, we're on. Well, as soon as we pulled in, light snow came down, it got really slippery, and it's like, oh, boy. Um, so let's plan light, let's set up a small group of chairs, and let's get you out of here earlier than normal. Okay? So, with that in mind, you don't need to sit here and go, we're going to end a little bit earlier um, so that you, as you travel out of here, you take your time and be safe. And, you know, we, we know the forecast for the day. It's going to be rough, right? But now that we're here and you're all settled in, let's dig into God's Word, okay? I'm glad that you uh, some of you braved it. some of you don't like getting out some of you are like it's snow whatever you know okay good. Uh, you are here so let's make sure we continue to worship and as we continue worship today here's the deal. We're beginning new year now. Uh, it's time to refocus who we are, what we believe and how we can do this by moving forward together. Um, during the next five weeks we're going to focus on our core beliefs. if you were to pull out, your bulletin, Ooh, prayer card flies, and um, on the back page, if you're going to look on the back page, you see our vision, our core values. We're going to preach through these core values because every year during the month of January, we pull out a new covenant. We say, if you want to be a member of this church, sign your, you know, on the covenant, and um, we always you know, put on here, this is our core values, if you're in agreement with these things. We thought, this year, we're going to do something different. We're still going to sign the covenant like we always do, and we'll get those out and get in the next week or two. But we want to preach through those core values. We want to make sure you understand. Here's the deal. Why be a part of something, believe with some other people, if you don't know what you believe? Uh, I'll never forget, and I think I've shared this with you, when Mark Cahill was here, remember Mark Cahill was here? Great evangelist, okay? He sat down Monday with our student leaders. We had a, an FCA student leadership camp. All of our huddle leaders, adult leaders, all were there and really emphasized we want to train you up to go back to your schools to share the gospel. This is what he did. He had everybody stand up. Then he said, if you know, the mission statement of FCA remains standing. If you can say it word for word. Everybody sat. Now these were our student and adult leaders, and they had no clue the mission statement of FCA, which they're leaders for. And uh, his eyes sort of got big, and he said, don't ever be a part of something if you don't know what it stands for. First lesson in life, kids. And uh, I thought that was a great statement. Listen, you better know what you believe in if you're going to be a leader for it, right? If you're going to be a member of True North Church, if you're going to say, I've made a covenant with this church, this is my church. Okay, great. What do you guys believe in? (laughs) I'm not sure. Ooh, you should know. If you attend here, if this is your church, you should know what you believe and why you believe it. So for the next five weeks, we're going to cover those core values. And, uh, and actually, we're going to give you a paper to work through together, okay? A little homework sheet. But here's the thing. We're going to provide the answers for you right here and now. So as these five weeks roll, we're going to talk about what God's Word has to say about each of these core values and what we should know about these core values and how we—here's the key thing. Apply it to our lives. It's one thing to know something or know about something, but then you've got to apply it as well. All right, let me, let me start with a story. I don't, I don't know if you've ever been lost before. Think back to a time maybe when you've been lost, you had no clue where you were going, no idea which direction to take, who to call. Men, I know right now, you're all sitting there going, never been lost, I don't know what you're talking about, right? Some of your ladies, like, all the time, referring to the guys, okay? Um, I don't know, maybe it wasn't just physically being lost, like you didn't know your directions. Maybe it was emotionally lost. Like, I don't know how to feel about this. I'm sort of distraught right now. I, I, I wanna be angry, but yet I wanna be happy. I, I'm sort of all over the place emotionally right now. Uh, maybe it was spiritually. Maybe it's something like it, with what you are believing, it's like, I don't know if I really believe this now anymore. Think of a time when you've been lost, okay? Regardless of whatever that was, physically, emotionally, spiritually, when you felt lost, like you had no clue what was going on, you at that point in time, hopefully, stepped back and said this, I need help. I have no clue what next step I need to take. Now, if you're being honest about this and saying, I needed that, okay, some of you are in denial. I'm not lost. (laughs) I know exactly what's going on, right? When I first moved to Ohio uh, back in 1989, when I moved here the, as a youth pastor, my first trip with the youth group was the West Virginia. They went camping and um, whitewater rafting. And I'll never forget that trip because it was my first experience with the, with the youth group. I mean, it was the summer. I'd just come in. It had been a month maybe or so. Uh, I barely knew the other youth leaders and, and some of the kids. And uh, here we go, thrown right into it. You're on a trip to West Virginia. You're the youth pastor. You're in charge, even though you don't know anybody, and you're just sort of getting rolling. It's like, okay. Now, I want you to remember, this is pre-cell phone era, okay? We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have GPS. We didn't have Siri or MapQuest. We didn't have any of that, okay? Basically, we're getting in two church vehicles. We're driving to West Virginia. We've got sleeping bags, tents, um, and one Randy McNally map, Okay? and I was in the lead car. I'm in the second vehicle, I'm in the van. Riding with kids, I didn't really know it well at that point in time. Now, as we went down, we had a great trip. It's a typical youth group camping trip. It rains at least one of the nights, okay? Uh, You have skunks invade your campsite and all the other kind of fun things that go with a youth trip, okay? On the way back, as we're driving home from West Virginia, again, no map, I'm just, Keeping my eye on the car in front of me, right? Um, as I got to know the kids, obviously more conversations take place. Somewhere along the point in time, uh, as I'm watching the car in front of me, I don't know why, but they decided to turn off the main highway. So I'm thinking, well, maybe we need gas. They need gas. I'm not sure. So they turned off the main highway, but they passed the gas station. And they went on down to uh, a suburban uh, neighborhood and, and pulled into... Um, a small neighborhood. I'm thinking, why are they going here? What is going on? At that point in time, guess what? I realized I was following the wrong car. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I had no idea what to do next. No phone. No phones, okay? No map. Uh, Remember, I'm fresh out of college, so in my wallet not much money, okay? Um, We're in trouble. See, we didn't have much of a plan back then when we first started the youth ministry. It was sort of like, this is the way it is, and this is what we do. And uh, so of course, I tried not to show any panic as that cool college graduate and acted really cool in front of the students, but most of them didn't realize what was going on anyway, okay? They're like, hey, what are we stopping here? (laughs) Just checking out there, but I guess we'll go get back on the highway. Um, I had no idea what to do next, because really, without a map, without a phone, I knew I could probably head north and west, and eventually find my way into Ohio and get to a main highway, okay? This was going to be a crazy trip because I knew we were eventually going to be running low on gas. I had enough money to gas up, but after that, everything was questionable, okay? So what do we do? Well, you get back on the highway and you take the steps towards not being lost, right? Is that what you do? Okay, unfortunately, today, there are some people who don't do that. There are a lot of people that get lost in life whether it's physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it may be. And they decide, you know what, I don't want to take the route that finds me to the place I need to be. I'm okay with being lost. I'm okay with wandering around. They may not admit it, but by their actions, you sit there and say they are okay with it. And, and some people don't understand, you know what, we are in need of being saved. I was so in need of being found, okay, uh, by the youth group, by anybody. But at that point in time, I had no clue what to do but there's some of us that are so lost right now, not necessarily in this room. There are people out there that you know who do not know Jesus Christ as their savior. They are lost, and they don't realize it. And they're wandering. The wonderful thing about salvation is that we find the opportunity to be saved. Now, here's what we need to know. We're all lost, we're all in need of salvation. On your paper, the first thing there to write Humanity is lost. Write that in there. Humanity is lost. I mean, there's evidence. Evidence demonstrates that humanity is lost. When you look around and see what's going on around us, it's obvious that people are lost. The Bible declares that humanity is lost. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned. Everybody. No exclusions here, okay? Uh, As good as you think you are, whatever it may be, we're all lost. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, goes on to say, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amazingly, God points this out to us in Scripture, something that we can probably already see, something that many of you see every day as you travel, you go to work, wherever it may be. Humanity is lost. Now turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13 Jesus is uh, here with his disciples and a few others. crowds have gathered together and they start asking some questions. And it says, About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were sacrificing at the temple in Jerusalem. Read on, verse 2. Do you think those, this is Jesus speaking, do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than other people from Galilee? He asked and he went on to say, Is that why they suffered? No. Not at all. And you will also perish unless you turn from your evil ways and turn to God. Verse 4. And what about the 18 men who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they worse sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again, unless you repent, you will also perish. Now, I want to read that Scripture to you. It seems like an odd Scripture to read, but I want you to understand this. We have to discover the importance of being found, the importance of repentance. Jesus used two recent disasters in this situation that took place around him to explain the urgency of repentance. That's the way Jesus worked. If he's out in the field, hey, look at the lilies. Hey, look at the birds. He used what was around him. Then he said, you know what? There's two disasters that took place. One was a man-made disaster. One was a natural disaster, okay? And we don't have a record in secular history about the specific incident mentioned here, but according to theologians, there's a very similar incident that took place with the ministry of Jesus. Here's Pilate wanting to build an aqueduct from the pools of Solomon to the city of Jerusalem. Now to pay for it, he had to come up with some way to do it, right? So let's just tax the people. Well, he decided he'd demand money from the temple treasury. Money that had been set aside. like I went over to the the box right now, the blessings box, and took money out and say, you know what? I really think we need to do something that's outside of what is right for this church, and I'm going to go do that and, on my own and do something like this. Okay? So I just sort of rob you from that money, okay? And rob God from that money. It obviously outraged the priests and the people. So the Jews sent a delegation to beg for their money back. They just went to Pilate saying, that's not your money, that's God's money. So they send this this delegation out. Pilate sent into the crowd soldiers dressed as citizens but armed underneath their cloaks so that at a certain signal these men took out their daggers, took out their swords, and killed the Jews. Now most likely not the same incident mentioned here that Jesus is referring to but happened at a similar time and it fits very well with the character of Pilate and what Pilate did. Okay. So the first disaster here, the one was evil done by the hand of man. The other was seemingly a natural disaster. If you read the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. So now we look at this and now we normally think this. Good people should have good things happen to them. Bad people should have bad things happen to them, right? That was the the thought, that process that took place back then. These people are like, well, okay, the... The people that Pilate went after, those were bad people. That's where they died, right? And the the tower fell on those 18 people? Probably because they were bad people, right? Bad things happen to bad people, good things happen to good people. That's the way it works, right? And in this situation, Jesus was correcting this thinking, uh, but not only was he doing that, he pointed out that the Galileans here in this situation in question were innocent. His point was that they're simply not more guilty than the others. Bottom line is, we're all guilty. The Galileans, even though they seem so innocent, they're still guilty. They still made mistakes. They still made errors. They still sinned. See, what we know to be true is that both good and bad people come upon disaster, right? Because a lot of you in here, all of you in here, okay, let's put it that way, all of you in here are good people, right? Yes? There's some of you like, No. Okay, who's the bad one, okay? You're all good people in here, okay? But bad stuff still happens to us, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. And we know people who, if you want to label people as being bad, good things happen for them. Well, that just doesn't make sense, you know? We're quicker to question, hey, why do bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? That would probably be the way we would question Jesus. And Jesus is sitting here saying, hey, good things happen to good, bad things happen to bad. Good happens to good and bad, bad happens to good and bad. Now, if I totally mixed you up on this? Good. It's not a good and bad flying around. But here's the deal. This is what I want you to know this, okay? Recognizing here, you know, this issue starts getting thrown out there and you start analyzing it, Jesus like, that's not the focus of the whole question. So you get caught up in that. You're reading this thinking, well, why does this? Why does this? Jesus said, that's not what this is about. These five verses, okay, thanks for bringing that up, but it's not about why this happened. Look at the person next to you and say, it's not about the why. Go ahead and tell them. It is so not about the why. Jesus turned into the question. It's this. What does this mean to me? What what, what happened over here in this disaster and happened over here in this disaster? It's not about why did those things happen, but what are those, the things that happened, what does that mean to me? What do I learn from this? It means that this, we're all going to die at some time. Disaster falls upon us, sometimes at the hands of another person, sometimes naturally eventually we perish, right? So repentance must be a top priority. That's what Jesus is saying. Those who died in both of these instances did not think they would die soon. They had no idea that Pilate would pull a sword on them. They had no idea that a tower would fall on them. We just don't know. And so we suppose that most of them were probably not ready. That's what Jesus is getting at here. Turn, repent. Of your sins. You better be ready. He says it twice in this passage, five verses, and he says it twice. If Jesus says it once, do you think we listen? Yes. But if he says it twice, do you think we better get a clue and really listen? Absolutely. I don't know if you were out yesterday. I don't know if anybody said, you know what, big snowstorm coming and, you know, the blizzard of 2014. So let's, you know, make sure we got all the food and water we need because we all know now if anything happened that we couldn't leave our house for the next couple days, I think we'd all be fine. Okay, we don't make it, but we better make sure so we we stock up. Well, we were out yesterday celebrating Carter's birthday and went into uh, town and just drive. There were places, there was no parking spots in some of the places we went. I couldn't, you know, it was like, we gotta park like a mile away uh, to try to get in. You know, and you go in and the lines are super long and shelves are emptying out. It's like, whoa, people here are doing what? They're trying to what? Get ready, right? It's a storm. It's going to last a couple days. It might last one day. It might last a few hours. I don't know. It's a storm. And we're doing everything we can to get ready. Get ready, get ready, get ready. And let me ask you this. How long is eternity? Forever. It's not really a trick question, right? It's a long time. So let me ask you this. How are we doing on getting ready? How are we doing on getting ready? How come the parking lots of churches all around America are empty on Sunday? or half-filled on Sunday. Eternity is a serious thing that we need to be ready for. But the stores, I mean, hey, Christmas is coming. You know, storm's coming. Something that's going to come that's going to last for about this long. And we are getting ready. Get ready. Jesus is sitting here saying, listen, you better be ready. You better be ready. We must repent. We must turn from our sins. Our mistakes admit we are in need of a Savior. We need somebody who can save us. Kathy had a lot of great things up here, object lessons up here to say, this will save you from this, this will save you from this. And then she held up the Bible and say, you know, it's God's Son, Jesus Christ, that saves us from our sins. Salvation. We need it. Why is that again? Look at, look at the number one point on there. Humanity is what? Humanity is lost. Now, I'm going to give you four things real quick. It's not on that list, okay? I'm going to tell you why what we need to know about humanity being lost. History suggests we're lost, okay? History suggests, just look from ancient Egypt to right now, the present time, United States history. The tale of the rise of great civilizations and the falls of great civilizations, up and down throughout history, we see it. Moral, social, cultural degeneration. Uh, teachers, for those of you that have taught for a long time in your retirement, okay, compared to some of you who've been retired for a certain time, do you know back in the 1950s what the top five problems in education were? Anybody want to make a guess? Top five problems in the 1950s in education? Chewing gum was one of them, okay? That 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 was a huge problem back in the 1950s. Talking while the teacher's talking. Here's a word some of you probably remember. Sassing the teacher, okay? All right? not completing homework was a big problem and then being absent those those are the top five problems back in the 1950s with education okay you know what the top five problems were just a few years ago listen to this carrying weapons teenage pregnancy drug problems teenage jobs and crime rate among students a little different than chewing gum and sassing a teacher huh the moral decline the change in our world. So how do we solve these issues? Where's the path that gets us off that we seem to be so lost right now, okay? Where's the path that puts us back on to better morals where we don't have to worry about metal detectors and undercover pleas and a call for condom distribution in schools? Where's that path at that gets us back on track? Right. What, what policy do we need to put in place? You know, unless God brings revival, Unless God stirs up our hearts to return to Him and godly principles, we will remain lost. That's just the way it's going to be. Politics and and, and, and policies and armies and activists can't change the heart. Only God can. And while there's good in humanity, humanity is inherently and fatally flawed by sin. Humanity's lost. Okay? History suggests that. Our conscience suggest that we're lost. Have you ever done something you know you shouldn't do? Or have you ever not done something you know you should do? If you have, then you're right up there with Paul, a theologian in the Bible, an author who said, you know, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I want to do. Oh, how that frustrates me. Yeah. Well, our conscious tells us, you know, I'm not capable of doing good 100% of the time. I'm not. Okay? And I'm not 100% protected from doing the bad things and I'm not 100% good on doing the good things. My conscience reminds me all the time I'm wrong. You should have done this. I should have done that good. You shouldn't have done that. I did that bad. My conscience reminds me. That. The Holy Spirit reminds me. that. Our experience suggests we're lost. Many times I try to find purpose and meaning in life through relationships, education, job, uh, maybe your, your title, uh, promotion. Believing that's going to satisfy satisfy us and make us happy. If I reach this level, if I achieve this, I will be okay. No. Talk to people who have won major awards. Whether it's athletics or in a job, they've reached that point, and you know what? They're still not happy. Why is that? Well, if I would marry this person, then I'd be happy. Well, I'm married, and, you know, I'm, I'm happy, okay. But there's still... I'm not satisfied with what's going on. I thought this would erase all my problems. Our experiences suggest that we're lost. The death of Jesus Christ suggests we're lost. When you consider the physical agony that Jesus went through on the cross, what he endured, the beating, the pain, the torture, he did it for a reason. When you consider the spiritual agony Jesus took upon that cross, you have to think about this. A holy God without sin took the sins of you and I in the past and placed it upon him. He was violated and took spiritual things upon him that were not meant to be for a holy God. All that unholiness came upon him. He had to endure that, the spiritual and physical pain. And here's the thing, the crucifixion is only rational if humanity is lost. Motivated by a profound love Jesus decided to die in our place so that we could live in His place. Let me say that again. Motiv- motivated by His profound love, Jesus decided to die in our place so that we could live in His place. With all that being said, we look at Romans 3:23 and Romans 6:23 and we step back and say, humanity is lost. So how do we recover from being lost? How are we found? How are we saved? Let's go back to your, your page here, and let's just work through this, okay? I've got more I want to share from Luke uh, 13. We may get to it, we may not. But I want you to, I want to make sure we cover this. Here's, this, here's the next blank, okay? God's grace. God's grace is the basis of salvation. God loves you and I, and he provides for us a way to be spared from spiritual death and separation from God. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. It's his grace alone that saved us. As you look at the little bullet points underneath, first one is we're saved by grace through faith. If you were to look up Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and and I'll quickly look up a few of these, Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved. Through faith, not of yourselves, is what? Anybody know the next part? It's a gift. Isn't that amazing what God gives us? By grace are you saved. Oh, wait, What about my works? No, not by your works. Otherwise, I'd boast about it. I'd break about. Hey, did you see what I did? No. Look at Titus uh, Titus chapter 2, verse, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 5. Let me read that one to you. And then we're all going to look up John chapter six thirty-seven. next one. Titus 3, 5 says this. He saved us not because of the good things we did, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins and gave us a new life through the Holy Spirit. Do you hear that? He did that. Now, one of the things that we do um, in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, when we have leaders that come on and want to volunteer and be a part of what we're doing, they have to fill out what's called a ministry leadership application. A lot of questions about themselves. We do a background check But there's three questions on there that are really gauges to help us understand where people stand spiritually. The first one is, if you were to, you know, just hypothetically speaking, if you were to go into heaven and you're standing at the gates of heaven, and God comes up and he says, good to see you, why should I let you come into heaven? How would you answer that? Now, I'll tell you, now, again, it's just one of those hypothetical type questions, but it really helps us understand people's thoughts on how they get to heaven, on salvation. It's really a good salvation question. And the, sometimes the answers we get are mind-boggling. There's multiple times, especially recently, where I've had people fill out says, say, well, I believe I've done enough good things to get me into heaven. My good works outweigh the bad things I've done. Whew, red flag, Okay you don't know about salvation the way God's word presents it. So here's the deal. When that happens, the application process stops right there. As much as I might know that person or love that person, I can't let them be a leader, leading youth or teams or whoever until we have a little sit-down conversation. It's actually a great opportunity for me to go talk to that person about their faith in Christ and share with them how salvation is, what it's about, biblically speaking. Now, here's the deal. If we let, if you don't understand about salvation, and we start having people be leaders who lead people down a road of, it's just about good works, it's not about God's grace, what are we doing with our kids and teaching them that in our future generations? You see why it's so important that leadership understands what salvation is? One of our key things that we've got to be focused on. So we understand that we're saved by grace through faith. It's not our works, okay? We repent of sin through repentance. We can be assured of our salvation. Look at John chapter 6, verse 37. If you have it in your Bibles, John chapter 6, verse 37. In John chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus. Uh, it's talking about being the, the true bread of heaven and amidst his conversation in verse 37. And I'm going to back up and read, starting in verse 35. Jesus replied, I'm the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry again. There's that satisfaction. Those who believe in me will never thirst. But you haven't believed in me even though you've seen me. Look at verse 37 now. However, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. You can be assured of this salvation. When you call upon the name of Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Okay? If you come in repenting and saying, I'm, I've am blown it. I'm a sinner. Father, forgive me for the sins that I've done. God's not going to sit there and say, I don't know, that one sin, that was pretty huge, okay? It doesn't work that way. He doesn't look that list and compare and, and evaluate when you come with a repentful heart, He forgives you. You're assured of your salvation. 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. Let me read this to you. And this is what God has testified. He's given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. So whoever has God's Son has life. Whoever does not have His Son does not have life. God's grace is the basis of our salvation. Right below that those bullet points I put when we admit our sins and we turn to Jesus and we place our faith in God through Jesus Christ, we are saved. Now according to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 and 5, we're born again and we are made spiritually alive. Let's turn there Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 and 5 and read what that says. But God is so rich in mercy. He loves us so very much. Did you hear that? Let's just step back for a moment, okay? Let's think about this holy God. What do we know about him? He is rich in mercy. He loves us so much. Look at verse 5. But even while we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. You raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's special favor that you've been saved. We have new life in Him. Look at the next blank. We are, and there's the next blank there, we are redeemed. We are redeemed. For those of you who are couponers, you should know what redeeming is, okay? And actually, in in Scripture here, when you talk about the word redeem, it has several dictionary meanings from different Greek words. I wrote down the three of them there. I think it's a great picture for us to understand what this is, okay? First, number one there, to purchase from the marketplace. It's the same thing as shopping, you know, for fruit, potatoes, whatever it may be at the grocery store. When you go into the store, you simply pay the price for that item. That's the first meaning of the word redeem. I'm going to pay the price, okay? Here's the deal. When you look at Revelation 5, 9, you understand that Jesus paid the price for our demands. There was a cost for us in our sin. Jesus paid the price for us. Another meaning, number two, has a prefix, X, in front of it added to the Greek word, which means out. So when you see that in the Greek letters, before the word it means out. And this, this is what it means. Not only did Jesus Christ pay the price for his sins, but he also removed us out of the marketplace of sin. Once you go in and you buy those potatoes from the grocery store, you pay the price, you put them in your cart, and what do you do with it? Leave it in your cart for the next person to come in and go shopping with? No. You take it out to your vehicle. When you redeem something according to Scripture, you have paid the price. Now you've taken it out of its location where it had been sitting. When we say, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you know what that means? The blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, paid the price. I've been redeemed. I've been bought by His blood and taken out of a life of sin. That's what redemption is talking about here, okay? Look at the third uh, point there. The third word means for redemption means to pay a ransom so that one being held can be freed. Those potatoes that were once in the marketplace was just sitting there. It, they were not going there. They were probably held in by a bin, okay? Now I've bought them. I've put them in my cart. I'm taking them out, and now I'm going to rip open the bag and pull out those potatoes and free them, okay? Probably not a great illustration because then I cook them, right? I know you're thinking that, okay? But the point is they've been bought, they've been removed, and now they are free. That's us. Salvation, a part of salvation understanding is this, that when you turn and repent from your sins, you are now redeemed. You've been paid for. You've been removed from that place of sin, now you're free. You are free. And when we say that, you think about that, think about the one who purchased that for you. And I Look at the next one. You are justified. Justified is being declared right with God. It's just as if I've never sinned. When some people say I'm justified, just think justified. Just as if I've never sinned. Justified. Let me read Romans chapter 5 verse 1 to you. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, since we've been justified, made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. How many times have we been reading this? What Jesus has done for us. Oh, that goes back to what? For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. I didn't do it. It's what Jesus has done for us. We're justified. It's like as if I've never messed up. Because I am saved now, when I look at God, God looks at me, He looks at me as like, You messed up. I didn't didn't realize that. Incredible thing, you've been justified. Look at the next one. You are adopted. You're made a legal member of another family with all the rights and privileges of that family. You are adopted. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 says this. His unchanging plan—oh, isn't that good to hear? God's plans don't change. Ours do. A lot of your plans got changed for the next couple of days. God's plans don't change. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself, who? Through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. Oh. Did you hear that? It gave God great pleasure to adopt you. He could not wait for you to become his child. Oh, you're loved. For those of you who felt lonely or by yourselves, nobody cares about me. The God of this universe takes pleasure in adopting you and calling you his own. Here's the last one. You are united with Jesus Christ. You are united with Jesus Christ. You are in Christ. A lot of great scriptures here. I'm going to go to one of my favorite, and that's Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20 says this, I myself no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So I live my life in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm united with Jesus Christ. Look at the very bottom here. Have you admitted your sins? Have you turned to Jesus and placed your faith in him? This little, we'll call it a cheat sheet, okay, for salvation it's minute and small. There's so much more to say. I was trying to sum it up as best I could in a short time so that you can say, so what do I believe about salvation? Here's what. Here's the key things you need to know about salvation. That is what? Humanity's lost. We've all messed up, okay? And the only way for me to get right with God, to find salvation, is through God's grace. That's it. And when I repent, as Jesus said, you need to repent, you need to turn. When I humbly admit that I'm I've messed up and confess and repent and turn to him. His grace redeems me. I'm redeemed. I'm justified. I'm adopted. I'm united with Christ. And then you know what? There's a, there's a lot more. Okay. But that's salvation. Salvation is not based on your works. Salvation is not based on your family, your relationship. If you were to read on in Luke chapter 13, there's another part where Jesus talks about the narrow way and the broad way. And he talks about knocking at the door and she said, Don't know who you are. You don't know me. I was I've I've come to visit many times. You know what? Here's the deal. You can come to church all you want. You can read the Bible all you want. And it's sort of like being at that door. You can hang out by the door. You can look at the door. You can think the door looks beautiful. But if you never enter in, you never find salvation. I shared here at the beginning of my first trip, that youth group to West Virginia. Um, My mistake that I made was I was following the wrong vehicle. There are a lot of people following the wrong beliefs. There are a lot of people following the wrong way of life, taking bad paths, okay? We're all separated from God. Maybe it was a lack of understanding, following the wrong crowd, misinformation. Regardless, we're all separated from God. And for me, I had no map, no phone, no little money on hand. Okay, I was in trouble. And here's the same thing with a lot of our peers, a lot of our friends, even family members. Members, they're in a lot of trouble as well because they're lacking the things they need to get them on the right path. We may be the ones they need to talk to to get them on the right path. We know what salvation is about. Here's the, here's the good news to this story. Okay, obviously, it ended up good because I'm here today. Okay, so not down in West Virginia or anything like that. Good news we pulled into a gas station to fuel up, so we drove a while down the highway passed a couple rest stops, finally said need to gas up, I'm not sure what I'm going to do but I've got enough money to fill the tank and we'll keep driving. Pulled in, started filling up the van, was praying, trying not to act scared uh, in front of the youth group on my first road trip with them and there was probably another uh, vehicle here with gas pumps and another row of gas pumps. As I'm sitting here gassing up and just like oh, Lord, what are we going to do because we're so lost, um, vehicle pulled out and on the other side of that vehicle that pulled out was our other Vehicle, and they looked at me, and I looked at them, and there was much rejoicing. <laughs> we'll say it that way, um, you know. It was, you know, you sit there and say, "What were the odds? What a coincidence!" And God's good, God is good, and it just made me think about I was following the wrong vehicle. And boy, that took me off path, and and God's like, "It's all right. We'll get you reconnected." But it gave me a beautiful picture of understanding that I need to be following the right person in the right direction. And that right person is Jesus Christ who takes me in the right direction. Question is, when we feel lost, when things come between us and God, distractions, distance, whatever it may be, do we know the way back? Do we know how to find him? Well, you do. Everybody that was here this morning, you do. You know what salvation is about. You know how not to get lost spiritually. You know how to be found spiritually. The question is, now that you've got it, now that you're found, who do you need to help get back on track? That's a challenge for us. The question is this now, what are you waiting for? People got ready for a storm. Are we ready for eternity? Are we ready for eternity? Why don't you stand and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for being an awesome and mighty God. I thank you for a day in which you've given us to come and worship you, even though, uh, Lord, we know the weather is questionable. But, Lord, as many people prepared for a storm and prepared for things, the question is, have we really prepared for eternity? I thank you, Lord, that we can understand this is what salvation is. We've all messed up. we all made mistakes. We get to the point where we find out that all humanity is lost. We've been separated, maybe by distance, maybe different obstacles have gotten in our way. I know temptation, the devil, being busy, things just get in our way and we forget to follow you. Lord, I thank you that you give us the opportunity to find salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. That you loved us so much that you came to this earth And through your son's death on the cross and then his resurrection, we can have new life. Thank you, Lord, that you redeem us. You justify us. You adopt us. You unite us with your son. Lord, the first part is our choice. We've got to turn from our sins. We've got to confess and admit that we're sinners. We have to place our faith in you. We can't have you just be our Savior, but you also need to be our Lord. So we need to follow you and obey you. So Lord, help us to do these things. Lord, somebody in this room right now might just need to be saying, I need to pray that. I just, Lord, we know there's no magical prayer. It's a humbling of the heart. It's confession of our mouth that you are Lord. It's placing our faith in you, admitting our sins. So Lord, help us to repent now if we need to repent. Lord, for those of us that have placed our faith in you, Lord, put in our hearts right now somebody that we need to share this message with. We know they're lost. We need to flag them down, get them back in the right direction. They need to find you. They need to repent, give their life to you, and surrender and follow you. Thank you, Lord, again for this morning you've given us. Help us now as we leave this place. Keep us safe as we travel. In my name we pray. Go be the church by being a witness, by taking this message of salvation. Drive safe on the way home, will you? God bless you. You're dismissed.